0: Hey, hey everybody, uh, uh, this is Adai Moon, the Associate Artistic Director at Theatrical Outfit, and uh, this is our Downtown Dialogues, and I am so honored to have two extraordinary human beings uh, talking with me, uh, both about our play that's in production now, Passing Strange, as well as uh, the, I guess, mid-90s to late 2000s uh, music scene in Atlanta, Georgia, which I think has a lot of thematic and parallels to some of the elements in the play. So um, I'm going to introduce these two lovely folks. Uh, first, I have the extraordinary um, filmmaker, uh, promoter, producer Timmy Bennings. And the equally extraordinary <laughs> musician, Composer, educator, writer, oh Corey Johnson! Hey. Hey, <laughs> hey, Thank you hey. y'all for being here for this Glad little chat. You here, look- Thank
1: you for having
0: us. Yeah. So, um, first, uh, so so Kimmy, I know you saw the off Broadway version a- as an eye of Passing Strange, and you saw, uh, Teal's production recently. Um, tell me your your your, your Passing Strange story, like. When you saw it at TO, but also when you saw it off Broadway, and how how it made you feel as a as a especially as a black artist.
2: Well, it was wow. You know, you're, you're taking me all the way back because it takes me to a a a trip. Um, I was invited by one of my besties. Uh, she was on a contract in New York and says, "Kimmy, come on up!" Shout out to Ivy Boyd, for Um and you know we were you know looking for something to do you know and uh, we kind of heard the buzz about this play passing strange and like okay that's it we're going to go this was 2008 right so in context um 2003 was our first a great day in atlanta right with the mm-hmm. photograph room so that was around that time atlanta was so um it was just buzzing, you know, with, with the, the arts. It was really parallel in massaging what we know as the uh, Harlem Renaissance. It was just, you know, so many different artistic forms and genres colliding. So to see that film, see, to see that play at that time. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, it touched on so many things for me personally, as an artist, you know, as a poet and writer and, and really the, the leap of faith that one has to take, you know, when you uh, choose to, uh, you know, accept the calling and being an Mm -hmm. artist, right? Um, Those things like the church and, um, you know, being rooted in the church, right? My father's a pastor and minister, um, the late Hardy Bennings Jr. And I connected with church in a way of, finding my own spirituality, but there was a time that I I needed to have that quest of my own, right? So I could immediately identify with the youth, you know, of like being so rooted in family and home, but having something inside of us that pulls us into the the trajectory of our soul's mission, in my opinion, of why we're Mm -hmm. actually, right? And sometimes that is altered to what our parents see for us, right? So it really was a powerful uh, performance for me to see at that time. And it it was just like, boom, in your face, right? The musical part of it was an additional layer that Mm. said, what are you going to do, Kimmy? You know, and I was already kind of yeah, and I was already into really um, serving my role in the community as an artist, as a promoter, producer. At that time, we had that was uh 2008, so Soul Sisters Juke Joint was in full swing. You know, Um, so I was already like on what I feel was my mission, but this even gave me more conviction. Watching Mm -hmm. Past Strange, you know, it felt like because some in some ways. In our own families, when we're artists, we kind of feel a bit strange. You right. know what I mean?
0: So right. way. No, no, that that's that's wonderful. I I I I saw it in New York when it was off Broadway, and later I saw Spikes production. And I just remember the thing that really resonated for me, like as a as a young black artist, you know, raised on punk rock music, <laughs> you know, totally misunderstood by my family and most of my community and this idea uh you know in Stu's story in the play of uh, you know the, the this guy was in the situation who um mm-hmm. you know south central los angeles grew up in the church discovers punk rock decides to uh to start a band and leave his family and his country to to find himself in europe and and what was interesting to me when i saw it uh and I thought about how for a lot of us, for a lot of folks in our generation who are Black artists it, it, and those of us who kind of came of age in Atlanta during a certain time, for a lot of us, like Atlanta was our Amsterdam in so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, re- and the reason I wanted to talk to you two is because I, I especially wanted to know how how it was for you as artists coming to this city uh, in the early to mid nineties and how you you found your voices uh, in in the art scenes and the music scenes that that make up the ATL.
1: Maybe the, I guess it's my turn to jump in there, right? Is, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think uh, Atlanta was my theory of blackness made real. You know what I mean? And um, in, in I grew up in Washington, D.C. I went to prep schools. I went to a prep school um, and uh, black middle-class family, heavy kind of respectability politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I can't pretend like I was ever raging against any of that, but I, I knew that I wanted to do something different. I think I remember seeing in a, like senior year, it was a white prep school, but they had a course called Black Voices and there was a documentary on Gordon Parks and uh, I remember some moment in that documentary, he talked about how he stopped cutting his hair because he felt like every time he went to the barbershop that he was cutting away what should be shameful about being Black, mm-hmm. right? So he like mm-hmm. he decided he was going to rock this fro and let his hair be. And like that was the moment I started to lock my hair, right? And uh, I didn't know anything about locking, um, but I was cutting the sides of my head, like still had a fade, and I was twisting the top. And at the time that was not the way that you locked, you know what I mean? And so like I did for a full year in DC and this gets me down to Atlanta and I went to Morehouse um, class of 97, but you know, my first year was, was 1993. And all of a sudden I was amongst an entire like community and culture of people who wore all kinds of locks. You know what I mean? Like not just a particular kind and style of locks all kinds of locks and for me the people who wore locks were this community they were the artists Mm -hmm. they were the academics and they were the activists Mm. three of us like really kind of embraced that identity and atlanta was kind of our like classroom was my classroom right it was the first thing i started doing actually wasn't music i was a part of a spoken word group with this group called Cypher at Morehouse. We
0: were all yeah. parts of spoken word groups. You know what I was that, part of
1: that, Like, what you, that it what was you like do? Jasper, um, Mark, Bamuti, uh, Joseph, uh, ah. a bunch of other people. Bubble oh, bubbles. wow. And um, it, was, it was the first time I dared ever even imagine myself as, a, as an artist. Mm.
2: Um,
1: and you know, at the time, those first three or four years were really understood as like Morehouse's culture, but Morehouse's culture was really an extension of Atlanta's culture, right? And mm. it was embracing, it was encouraging. Uh, it asked me like, what was important to me rather than what was important to my parents. Um, and it said, oh, really, well, you know, make something, do something with that, you know? And uh, that eventually turned into like my sophomore year. Oh, you play the cello? do that, do that in like a band. It's like, what do you mean do that? Like the first time I started playing cello was when my buddy asked me to like sit down and come up with some cello to Stone Temple Pilots. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that is probably very much in the spirit of the play. You know what I mean? Like I'm at Morehouse, so, you know, we don't listen to Stone Temple Pilots out loud. Like, not (laughs) but my boy was on his balcony. He had his black skull cap on. He had locks. He had uh, a flannel on, he had a wallet with the chain, he had the boots and he literally was playing flush on his balcony. Wow. I was like, for real? Like that, you doing that? So I sat outside his door, his, his name is Julian Tiller by the way, he's still one of my best friends.
0: Julian!
2: And <laughs> I
1: I stalked him for a little bit there. I kind of loitered outside <laughs> his dorm and uh, he came out he's like, why are you sitting outside my door? And I was like, oh, you just playing some music I really like." and he's like, well you can't sit outside my door and I was like well what can I do he's like come on in and bring your cello I was like what I I mean I just came from orchestra he's like just bring a cello in and let's play and I was like it's a cello he's like I don't care take it out and that is pretty much the beginning of my Atlanta story in the art world and it has been that story on repeat over and over and over again oh yeah that's who you are come in take your thing out whatever your thing is and make something, make something beautiful and it doesn't have to look or sound or walk or talk or act like anything you know to be black. By doing mm-hmm. it yourself, it's
0: gonna be black. Yeah, mm. definitely, definitely. Uh-huh. And yeah, so 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 I'm gonna uh, ask you to expand on that a little bit, sir, and talk a little bit about uh, the Earthsea Collective. Yes. And, and that'll be a perfect setup for uh, Kimmy and her brilliant film. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so there's an important person to talk about here for me. Um, it's Kari Simmons. Mm. Yes. Kari Simmons is an important person in my Atlanta story. Um, he's an important person in the idea of Black art, and ideas, right? Like, first off, as the child of Ruth Simmons and Norbert Simmons, right? Like, that's a big deal, right? We don't, I don't talk about it a lot. I don't bring it up a lot with him, but like, if you know who those people are, those are really significant people in the black arts world and right. the black academic world, right? And he's the child, right? Um, and my freshman year, he, um, he was at Morehouse as well. He was a sophomore, I was a freshman. He pulled me aside and I looked, he said, I looked like his cousin Weebay. To this day, I have not met Weebay. He said, I don't think I look like Weebay. He said, I looked and acted like Weebay. And I'm like, who's Weebay? You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, he's like, I don't know, but he's a good guy. And from that moment, he kind of became my bigger brother. And Karee was in uh, a jazz group called Serious B at the time. Yes. And when I was a freshman, um, he would tell me about his gigs. So I would take my little crew of freshmen Spelman and from Morehouse out to his gigs and all of a sudden I was the plug I was the entertainment plug because it's a freshman on campus all you got really is like whatever club and like Linux for movies but all of a sudden I'm taking it was amazing right Mm -hmm. like concurrent to that is this thing that's happening with me and Julian and all of a sudden now we're a band he's playing acoustic guitar I'm playing cello we're doing this thing called suburban folk rock um and we end up playing, do y'all remember Red Clay? Do y'all remember the Literary Oh, hell yeah, yesterday? yeah, yeah, the Red Clay Collective, yeah. We went to a, sh- a Red Clay party and we wanted to play. And they're like, "Um, well, Razelle that night was actually like beatboxing. And I can't remember who else was there. They're like, we already have entertainment tonight. Y'all should have like gotten in touch with us a couple of weeks ago. Um, But it's like, we got our instruments. They're like, you can't play inside. You can play outside if you wanted to. So we sat up outside the door of the red clay party and we just started playing in through that door walks India, who was not India Ari at the time. She was India. Right. She was just India, India Simpson. But she walked through and she's like, oh, my God, y'all sound great. And Corey I need a cello for my my new song. And I was like, what do you mean? I, I want she's like, I want you to come and record some cello on this song that I wrote. Um, The name of the song was uh, Yours and Mine. We had. I don't think she's ever recorded it, to be honest with you. Every once in a while when I see her, I'm like, can we record that? But I'm getting to the point that you're asking here. Um, I go and I rehearse in Anthony David's apartment, who was Anthony David at the time. He was not, he was He was note He was e actually. He wasn't Anthony David. And right. he had an apartment right next to the Kroger on Cascade. And I went to his apartment with India. She taught me the song. We we got a part together. She loved it. I loved it. And then three weeks later, she was like, I want you to come and record it. And I was like, okay, where are we going to record? She's like, I can't remember the name of the, the thing, but it was on, it was in uh little five points on Edgewood and it was speeches recording studio. Oh, wow.
0: Speech right? the rest of development. The
1: rest of yes. Speech the rest of development. <laughs> so some weeks after that, it wasn't two weeks, it was maybe like a month. We have a date to record at Speeches, Arrested Development's studio, and this is my first record. This is my first session ever. I've never recorded before. I've only been playing contemporary music for about six weeks at this point, probably eight weeks. You know what I mean? Like I was playing classical music prior to this. You know what I mean? I'm on a on a student rented cello. It was crazy, right? And then all of a sudden, all the other musicians that are supposed to be there for that thing start to come. So the first person that shows up is Dana. Dana Johnson. Mm -hmm. Dana Johnson, Mm -hmm. he is um, one half of Avery Sunshine. Well, he's Avery Sunshine's like musical director, but he's married to Avery Sunshine, right? Um, Who was also in that band, Serious B. All of a sudden Dana came, the drummer, Nick Williams came. Like pretty much all of Serious B came. And I'm like, why is Serious B here at this recording? Because they were gonna record for India. The last person to show up was Kari Simmons. And it was funny because at that point, He and I had been cool for like, oh, I don't know, six, eight months. I'd been coming to see him perform. He was the artist, he was a musician. He had no idea I even played an instrument. But he walked in and Dana and I are improvising on our instruments and he's like, wait, I'm so confused. Why are you here? What are you you doing? I was like, well, I ran into India a couple of weeks ago and she's like, come and record at this thing. And he's like, but with your cello? I was like, yeah of course, you never told me you play the cello. I was like, I didn't. He's like, well, guess what? I'm recording on this thing tonight too. Serious B is doing it. And it was this long, it was like moment, like all the most important artistic people in my life were really right there. Guess who actually didn't show up that night? India. <laughs> we didn't actually end up recording. Song that night. We ended up recording like some other time, but um, for me, Earthseed was Kari. Mm-hmm. It was Sirius B. And it was the way that that group of musicians and artists radiated out and gave everybody who was connected to them permission to be. So they ended mm-hmm. up connecting to India. They ended up connecting to Donnie. They ended up mm-hmm. connecting to this woman in DC called Monique. They ended up connecting to me and my boy Julian, us. Like we were on that original like, thing, right? And all of a sudden there was this collective of black artists and musicians who wanted to make black art, but that wasn't stereotypically black in any way, shape or form. Um, I mean, India's music is really beautiful, very folk. Folk in the way that Bob Marley is folk, but Bob Marley and India aren't at all similar, but it's black music with a guitar and a message. But like India at the time was in love with country music. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, if you ask India to talk about it right now, I think she still will say she loves country music. And when you listen to India's music with the prioritization of lyricism, of having something to say, of there being a kind of earnest, sincere communication, and it being guitar-based, it's got some backbeat to it. It's got some, you know, I mean it's it's black music, but like you can hear it. And so in that way, everybody who was part of Earthseed had that kind of remix. Mm. On black music and black culture yeah
0: and for whatever so, so, reason so... no one told us we couldn't do it
2: right right right
1: let's go do
0: it right you weren't asking for permission and, and, so, and so let me draw some more strings so so you have earth music you, you have the red clay collective who also came out with like a, a magazine or mm-hmm, zine mm-hmm. i remember the yeah. zine that they just to do uh you have india Irie grammy award-winning nominated artists we have anthony david you have serious b you have speech and arrested development uh you also have like tangentially you have uh like the the black rock lockdowns that were happening you have the house of love sets that were happening mm-hmm. you have chocolate you have chocolate soul that was going on you have of course funk jazz cafe and all these things were kind of interweaving throughout the city and and mm-hmm. and for us i think folks in our generation like this is what made Atlanta the place. If you were a young black artist, and so that brings me to to Kimmy and her brilliant film about one of the central locations f- where everything converged, and that was Yin Yang Cafe. Yin so, yank. so Kimmy, talk a little Walk bit off. about uh, Third and Spring and Yin Yang and Yin Yang's importance to the the music scene and the art scene in general
2: in Atlanta at that time? Well, in a word, you know, yin-yang was at a church, right? It was also an institution, you know, of learning Mm. and of honing your skills and your chops on whatever it was, right? For me, um, I'm originally from Augusta, Georgia. So um, in high school, you know, I don't know. I just kind of began feeling that, you know, I wanted to do something different. And my out was when I came to school here at, um, uh, I originally went to um, Georgia Baptist School of Nursing and simultaneously Georgia State University. And um, the first thing I did was cut my hair. And I, wanted, I went natural. Like, you know, nobody knew what, they, what was going on. And I think for some semblance, I just knew that I wanted to remove different parts that I knew was not me. Mm. you know. And, um, you know, my entrance into the world of the scene was through poetry, you know? Um, I had connected with poetry and uh, I loved reading and writing as a child. And it was kind of an outlet for me, you know? It was an outlet to kind of write and journal and talk about, you know, the things that, you know I resonated with and, and didn't with letters to God whatever that was right and um at a certain point coming to Atlanta and entering into Patty Hut Cafe um mm. Rio Mall right Real Mall. <laughs> was that the crab shack what was it, it was the crab uh- something The Frogs, Rio Mall, you know, Chris Tucker had a club up there. They had like a a pottery studio. Some brothers had that pottery Mm -hmm. studio there. And, you know, for me, it was just like, it was avant-garde, you know? And when I entered Patty Hut, you know, the thing that I really loved about that particular place was that it had a lineage of hosts, right? Like Curtis Tension was host, uh, Eric Lamb was before her and Miss um, uh, Kim who was from Chicago. So it was a lineage, just about four or five before myself, you know, and I became host of Patty Hut Cafe. And I had been began writing when I was maybe 18, kind of as an ode to what was going on in my, my mother's world. Um, as an ode to what was going on in my mother's world, she was in the hospital. And my first poem I wrote was to a physician that attended my mother. So, um, Patty Hut Cafe was, it was like a, when you went down the rabbit hole, that's how we connected with everything Corey talked about, mm-hmm. right? It was like different places, you know, more epics, Blue Milk, you know, in the literary world, those things had an underground connection to uh, the music spots. Right. Mm -hmm. The art galleries, the shows, the artists. It was like this whole if you could even visualize going down this rabbit hole in this underground network of little, you know, uh, a journey through which you could stop at any place and just get so full. Right. So that for me was. Wow! Such a uh, a pivot in my own world of of writing, you know, and being able to have an outlet, and also just being being encouraged and inspired by others who are doing just the same, you know, mm-hmm. the outlet through art, but finding oneself through the art, you know, um, and wow, that 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 led to Yin Yang Cafe, Elevation for Hamu Peku, right, for and
0: Kimball,
2: right. <laughs> And kind of entering through the world of the literary, but it all converging at a place called Yin Yang Cafe, right? And um, wow, just just to to uh, be a part of Spring and Third, the film, like, was a it's a real blessing and a real honor, really. Um, shouts out to Malik Salam, who's the director. And I am one of three executive producers, uh, Tommy Bottoms and Abyss Graham. And once again, being a woman in the bunch, you know? Right, right. And being able to, um, you know, really bring forth a powerful story. And for me, the, you know, where we shared such a synergy is that I could fill in gaps that they couldn't. And for me, I have also an avid interest in preserving our story, that underground story. So, mm-hmm. you know, going as deep as we could get to be able to, for, for people to recall pl- folks like Anasa Troutman, you know, Anasa. who's, listen, powerful, powerful work, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? Launched the the careers through groovement, you know, of, of many artists and, and really a, a, a waybearer for this arts and culture and music scene, but everybody played such a part, you know? It, it, and also, you know, the record stores, you know, Earwax and Red Beans and Rice and- Red you
0: Beans know, and Rice, woo! Yeah, they yeah.
2: um record store was down, down like in the downtown Decatur, you know? So like all things, you know, just really converged and it was, I think that I was t- talking to someone this week, like we, I was talking to Salah. I'm like, we literally, we all grew up together, really. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It's almost like, yeah, we're not like biological siblings, but we're siblings in this art Atlanta arts community. And we literally grew up together. You know what I mean? And um, connected to our arts form, connected to our um personal calling and mission through that art form and, you know, expand it to what we're doing now. You know what I mean? So yeah, Yin Yang Cafe, um, you know, it's lineage, you know, Freddie Luster, um, Reggie Ely, you know, powerful visionary. um, And the lineage of that, which went to Apache Cafe, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that that the soul scene it, during that time, and and the interesting thing, Adaya, is that it was happening in other major hubs.
0: It As was, well, so yeah, yes, yeah. So it was soul like Atlanta, soul Philly.
2: Soul Sisters Juke you know, We we did a a um, kind of a convention, if you will, a sisters meeting of minds up in Philly. Mm-hmm. But you know what was happening in Atlanta was happening in Philly was happening in DC amongst Black artists like. Black hubs, these things were happening. And so there was also a unique pipeline and connection. While there was a underground type of rabbit hole, there was a pipeline connection where, you know, the soul artists like a uh, uh, Jill Scott, you know, could come down here and perform at uh Funk Jazz Cafe or Yin Yang Cafe or Erica Badu. I mean, like it created this pipeline, you know, of platforms for everyone in the black arts music scene, you know, in the southeast.
0: Right, 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 right. I mean, because it was Atlanta and Philly and Chicago and and and, and Brooklyn. <laughs> you know, the the whole the whole art you know yeah. art scene in Brooklyn that, you know, Blue Moon Cafe and that sort of thing. Um I I would love you for y'all to t- what, what up? <laughs> yeah I mean read? yeah yeah okay. New weekend. And Lightning Ricken was has been around since since the 70s at least yes. is, is when that started popping. So, but I would love for y'all to talk about um how, especially now as like, you know, adult working black artists, how how this time period uh and and, and this whole scene and the sort of inter the interconnecting personalities and mediums and genres, how that influences and impacts two things the work that you're creating now, but also how you define your Blackness. Because so much of what the play is about is about deconstructing the idea of what Blackness is for our main mm-hmm. character. So I would love for you to talk about how how that scene influences the work that you're still creating, but also how you define yourself as a Black artist. Should I, should I jump in on this one? Um, I'm not sure.
1: This is going to sound strange. uh, I've always, I've always uh, been part of a family that was quite conscious of the fact that they were black. I mean, and by what I mean by that is politically, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. not, not like phenomenal phenomenologically, like there, you know, I had a, an aunt aunt who was a professor of like African-American studies. And, and um, so that there was always a bit of a, an atmosphere an oxygen of a kind of a political awareness of your blackness, right? But I would say that prior to coming to Atlanta, it wasn't concentrated for me. It was it was there, but it wasn't like, and it didn't have to be necessarily, but like, but there was something about being part of Groovement and Earthseed and being down here in Atlanta where, um, and, and also going to Morehouse, right? where blackness is at the center of your intention, right? Mm -hmm. You're at Morehouse, it has to be in some capacity, right? But it also doesn't necessarily require that your output looks like everything else. Right. I think that was a real blessing or joy of being on Morehouse's campus. And it continued to be a blessing and a joy of being here in Atlanta, right? Like one of my favorite bands uh, was this black rock band, two black rock bands. Well, the first All one was, was Autopsy, um, and uh, I think their their other name was maybe Vertical Smile, but amazing. Oh, yeah. But uh, it was um, Shock Lobo. Oh, yeah. Shock Lobo. Jeff Butts and David, I can't remember his last name. He's one of the co-owners of Oz Pizza in town. Um, they were not directly a part of kind of the neo soul thing that was happening here in Atlanta, but they were tangential. The other person Mm -hmm. would also have been Doria Roberts, right? Like, so um, folk rock, um, black, queer, lesbian sensibility, consciousness, right? But these were like the coolest things that I had ever seen. Like I so badly, Wanted to be Jeff Butts. Like I, I don't have the like box. <laughs> I don't. I mean, like I'm a musician. I'm an artist, but I don't have that. All that. You know what I mean? But, but both me and my buddy Julian, we kind of considered shock lobo competition, but they never were because they were like killing it, and we were coming up. You know what I mean? But, but what was beautiful about it was that like, there wasn't like this political statement of we are black and we're rock. It's just like we rock and we're rock. <laughs> And I I think that is the magic to me of Atlanta, of Mm -hmm. all these acts. Like, Blackness is at the center, but it's not this kind of didactic um, heaviness, burden of Blackness, right? we we just doing what we do. And there's no way for it not to be Black. You know what I mean? And in that way, Atlanta modeled something for me that sometimes when I travel outside of Atlanta, it's hard to kind of, like, find this... Mm -hmm. I am black because I am black, and I'm doing it, and therefore it's black, and it's beautiful. <laughs> like like that—that's just kind of what it is. Um, so everything from the spoken word to the neo soul to the black rock to the theater scene—you know what I mean? Like to to the just Freddie Hendrix, Youth Ensemble. I mean, like right, Youth Ensemble I Atlanta. Mean, you know what I mean? Like there every was, black
0: actor on Broadway came out of <laughs> YEA. <laughs> you
1: know <what> I mean? <laughs> There was this um, passionate and yet at the same time casual, mm-hmm. yeah, performance of who you were, which was black.
2: What. Mm-hmm.
1: what I loved about Atlanta was like there wasn't a whole lot of black carding. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a whole lot of policing, like mm, you know you can't be doing that, right? And and you know in some way, I want to say that one of the major pa- patron saints of that phenomenon of like free blackness is Andre Is 3000 right like
0: and 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 I'm I'm so glad that you mentioned Andre because I I think people don't realize too like with you know outcast being this international cultural phenomenon they were babies in the midst of all this stuff that was happening around them you mm-hmm. know and and like they and and the influence of spaces like Yin Yang Cafe, or Funk Jazz, or Chocolate Soul, and artists like Joy and Follow <laughs> for Now, like like oh. all the like, <laughs> like all these cats influenced Outcasts, and everybody knows Outcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but there wouldn't be an Outcast if it wasn't for this scene that was surrounding them as as, as young, and I think they were probably high school age. Yeah, young <laughs> high school age artists. Who were you know starting to find their voices, which mm-hmm. was um, a
1: really organic thing. I think that's the thing that I also love about it. Right, like I don't feel yeah. like there's any part of the story, Kimmy, that's mm-hmm. contrived. Certainly, there were visionaries, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. But but it wasn't this kind of like we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this, and da-da-da-da. you know what I mean. Like it was just a density of beautifully creative people. Mm-hmm. And hey, let's come together and let's make some stuff for me. That's what Earthseed was yes. born out of Kari's house in Lathonia, where, uh, well, really, Groovement is out of Earth's out of Kari's house in, in Lathonia. Kari and Anasa, mm-hmm. um, as well as James White and Dana and, and Nick and all those folks. But the two of them got together and said, you know, as a matter of fact, Kari's the one that pretty much gave me permission to be an artist mm. because i was graduating morehouse and i was majoring in english and i didn't really want to go to grad school and you know i'd done fine in school but i hadn't really been serious about it and i was looking like i was going to go back to dc to teach and uh because i didn't get any of the grad school programs that i wanted to and carrie said hey man um i don't know what your plans are after school but you know graduation is coming up and you know Anasa and I." have been putting our heads together. And I think we're gonna start a record label. Um, And we're gonna want these five or six bands, which were Sirius B, Jiva, Monique, Brother Son, Us was part of the original thing. I don't think we made it to like the final thing. And I can't remember who the sixth group might've been, but we want these foundational bands to be part of this record label. And I'd like you to stay in Atlanta and figure out how you can stay in Atlanta and be part of this movement. And I was like, what? Because at the time I was also playing in India's band, right? Um, And I said, hell yeah, (laughs) I said, hell yeah. I told my mom, I'm not coming back to DC to teach. Um, I uh, worked in a car wash that the drummer Nick Williams owned. I lived on Lawton Street in West End. I didn't have a car, I rollerbladed up uh Abernathy to uh Run and Shoot to um right across the street from Run and Shoot where the car wash was I worked there during the day I rollerbladed back and then at night I would gig mm-hmm. and play with India play with Julian play with Doria I got a chance to, to every once in a while play with Donnie I'd go to Yin Yang and see the Chronicle I'd go see David Ryan Harris play I'd go and see Dion Ferris you know what I mean, like Like all this stuff was just happening in 1997, Mm -hmm.
0: 1998.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And I would have missed it if Kari hadn't invited me to stay because I didn't have a plan.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And by inviting me to stay, he gave me an opportunity to develop uh, an identity, a consciousness of of art being a way of being who you are and changing the world that I don't know I really would have embraced. Um, And I left, uh, not unfortunately, because, you know, good things happened to me after 2001, but I left in 2001. But that period of time from 94, when I started playing with Julian and shortly thereafter met India to 2001, is the foundation for everything I'm doing in my life right now yes it's it's the approach to my art it's the skill set of improvising without necessarily having a a a model um it is the kind of posture of yeah i don't know how to do it now but we'll figure it out Mm -hmm. um and it is the comfort of knowing that like i belong to a community of brilliant and i want to say that first right like Mm. Everybody I associated with was just off the chain, bright and brilliant and creative. I belong to a community of brilliant, creative black artists and musicians who were making a way where you know we didn't imagine any way was really possible. So, um, and as a, yeah. as a as a as a looping improvisational storytelling cellist whose work is rooted in the African diaspora. all I'm I'm really doing is like refining kind of what came out of that
2: those five Mm. or six
1: years you
2: know that's interesting because that's kind of how I see myself from a standpoint of just um being a bridge you know what I mean I am an artist embracing my art and art form um and at the at the same time really being passionate about um, independent artist, you know, um, and bridging communities of artists. Um, I don't know, is and doing projects, programs, and um, you know that 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 is meaningful. You know what I mean? That that does create change and promotes um, unity. You know. Sometimes resistance, you know, what that looks like, you know, um, and it's never been like one particular lane for me. You know, I think the thing that is congruent to everything that I do is the passion around what I do. And whatever it is, <clears throat> it being uh, an opportunity, a vehicle and a vessel for others to commune, to create, to collaborate, you know, that can be everything from a soul sister's ju- joint to care Dog. You know what I mean? Like all of it is. Oh, wait, wait, uh, Kimmy.
1: What's, what's carrot dog?
2: Carrot dog is a spin on American classic hot dog. It's my plant based business. So, yeah. Yeah. so it is. It's also just about you know bridging community. Like that's a fine line for me, and I I still as a producer like a challenge. You know what I mean? Um, I'm excited about. Excited and kind of in awe of how, um, you know, for lack of a greater word, spirit kind of flows through us and and, and allows us to pour out, you know, it's a pouring in and then we pour out, you know, and and I I love that. I love being able to um, just connect and bridge communities. This year I had an opportunity to do a program, um, two programs in Mexico, my first international programming. And um, in the effort to um, bridge community there, I had some um, musicians there. We took Julie Dexter for two days of show in Playa del Carmen, show in Tulum. Magical, you know, not only is it an arts exchange, but it's also, it also puts us in alignment with folks like us that are doing the same thing all over the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also, and also I'm very careful to uh, examine the parallel to my own life and where I am consciously, spiritually, um, and, and transforming, right? Um I'm I have the awesome pleasure of producing um um uh, the great Charmaine Menifield's project um, project that's happening at Emory University um on the 19th um of this year, 2023, uh, on the campus of Emory University. And I am you know, what the praise house represents, what Charmaine's work represents, um resistance and really it I, I just I feel like it's this this take back, you know, um and 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 really cultivating our memories, you know, really healing. And um really super excited to um of how I'm moved to bring certain elements together. Um I'm really fascinated about um you know, how this conceptualization um, begets manif- manifestation. Like, you know, people say, oh yeah, oh, that exhibit. Oh, it was crazy. It was, I'm like, you know what? It shit was crazy to me too. Because, you know, as artists, we create and build. It's like, we, you know, we practice it or we, you know, as a producer, put all the pieces together. And, you know, but then when it actually comes together or we, you, we see it in form, that is mind blowing because we've only conceived of it. You know what I mean? So as an artist and as, you know, I guess more of a career artist and creative professional at this point, like, you know, gravitating towards projects that are meaningful. I just happened to talk to a, a gentleman, uh, he's a French filmmaker and he did a, um, a film about, Uh, Basically looking for outcasts. He did the film in like 2018. He's a French filmmaker. He came here, I think 2018, um, recorded, you know, shot the film as a documentary. And the the thing was all about like, you know, they were looking for outcasts and, you know, uh, as it relates to trap music and what's happening and how that has evolved. And so, you know, those like, projects that fascinate me, like a great day in Atlanta, being able to um, crystallize that vision with John Croons and not only crystallize that vision for all who are involved, those who are not, who were not photographed, but who are part of that era, you know, and to give John Croons a platform to share his work and his powerful contribution to this, like, it's such a gift, you know, it's a gift yeah. for this life. It's a gift to be who I am. And to be, you know, mature and a bit more wise in how, you know, how we it, it, there were no clip notes. We made it up. We made, we made our it own. Up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you yeah. said, back to to circle back to passing strange. This was our Amsterdam. It was. We our tried Amsterdam. it on. We tried it out. We did. We what we wanted to do. You know what I mean? Like I'm telling you to this day, I don't even think my parents knew that. Like there were days of like, oh, okay, no, I'm not coming home, child. I was in Florida, honey. You know what I mean? Just doing, you know, but it was like again, but those roots, those southern roots, it kept me balanced.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know what I mean? The southern roots, the spirituality, you know, though I didn't go like a very religious per se tracked, you know, I'm more of a spiritual conscious being at this point, but but the roots of that spirituality and the roots of the Black church, you know, the roots of Black community was, uh, you know, really pinnacle in who I am. I do see my art, you know, as ministry, you know what I mean? Project called Ministers of Sound, which was, you know, kind of an ode or nod to my father who had transitioned, but oh, how that made such a a uh, powerful conceptualization of what um, what manifested as a parallel and contrast of DJs to ministers. And to bring that full circle, that's a piece that will be implemented in this upcoming um, Praise House Project production, right? Salah Anand it will be the minister of sound. It's, it's gonna be in Gleam Memorial Church, don't miss it. Like, you know, those are the things that inform me, like how do we move, touch and inspire people with what we do? Like that is the mission, you know, and the calling. And I'm just so grateful, um, you know, grateful to be here sitting with you all. It's it's like, if we think about it enough, right? It's emotional for me. Mm, it's you know, the opportunities that we, you know, and, and really the struggle to be oneself, mm. you know? I mean, I didn't come from, a, I mean, we, you know, we were a middle-class black family you know, my father went into the ministry when I when it was, when it was uh, 1984, you know, I was still like maybe 13, you know, 12, 13. And so while it was black, it was still very much so rooted in um, religion. You know what I mean? For me, I took the spirituality, the connection of those things, you know, how that works out. But, you know, it was also that, which I think that, you know, uh, in parallel to the film is like you, 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 you. You honor those spaces, but at the same time, something is pulling you another way, you know? So like, you know, those to still have such a deep rooted spirituality and a spiritual consciousness. And it's taken me like, you know, all over the place. I was, you know, in China and uh, I spent time in Paris doing just just that and just feeling the energy of those, uh, you know, uh, the Langstons and the James Ballins and, you know, folks who retreated. You know, and I was there during a time where they were killing black folks. Police were killing black folks. You know, uh, Fernando Castile and uh, Sterling. Listen, like I was there during that time and just feeling very much so connected to the social arts activism and really quite honestly looking for and finding that social activist space in Paris because we needed a refuge. At the same time, being somewhat, detached in a way Mm. you know what i mean you know to, to be able to glean and look at it from a different lens but at the same time you know going down to the republic you know station and finding all of the black parisians like standing strong in that you know i have an upcoming trip going to egypt and i've been in conversation with some brothers there, like you know, what's going on with reference to the art scene? You know, how is that moving, touching, inspiring? How's it uplifting? What what's the what's the female artist looking like in the context of you know Islam and their um, uh, particular stance and you know whatever that is with women, right? So I'm curious as to what that is and how can we um, further this pipeline, you know? And I'm just you know it's it's really a i'm still following that voice right i'm still you know i'm a a bit more wise in that space of artistry but i am very much so intentionally following that voice because we still have a responsibility to expand and to connect you know and to widen that that that, that spiritual voice You know, that that gives us these visions, that gives us these ideas and tunes and various, and how that, you know, connects with the overall context of shifting the very mentality and the humaneness of this world as it is right now. You know, Mm -hmm. in the words of the late great Harry Belafonte, it's our job to create a space, even sometimes whole space and invite folks to come into that space. I'm very much still on that. I'm still very much so learning and growing as an individual artist, you know, and as a producer of sorts. And, um, you know, I, I have to thank Atlanta for that. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to thank the artist community for that, for sharpening the saw and, you know, many of us, even down to, you know, contractual agreements and we can do that on, in our community, we can do that on a handshake, a phone call, right? Mm-hmm. We also need to learn you know how to you know do those things right atlanta's very unique it's unlike any other arts black arts community in the world in my opinion you know in the world. um so yeah it's 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 really um I, and i think that it, it is time you know as we were talking about um before we press record i feel like it is the take back it's the taking back of atlanta you know in every single sector to make it right for our ancestors, mm, right. to do our part to make it right for them. Mm. You know, a Fonnie Willis, right? Um, a Letit- Letitia James. Like, we have a responsibility to make it right. And if we have offspring, we have a responsibility to do the work that is necessary to break any cycles to give them even more of a carte blanche of a Kyrie. To to give them permission to follow their heart, their passion, and their dream, and why we're even here, taking up air and space on this big ball. Right, right. Oh,
0: um. First, I want to thank y'all both for agreeing to do do this. Uh, this has been wonderful. Just to you know, just to commune with two folks that I admire, love, and respect. Um, and also, I, I want y'all to let folks know what you're working on next. I, I, I mean, uh. Uh, Kimmy, give us the details for uh, Sh- Charmaine's project and the dates and the locations and the specifics.
2: So the Praise House project, the opening uh, event is on October 19th. It's a Thursday evening at 6.30 at Glen Memorial Church. Um, but if you look on my Facebook page or Charmaine Minnefield that's M-I-N-N-I-E-F-I-E-L-D. If you look on her Facebook page, or her Instagram page, which I think is Black Angel. It's a plethora of events that are happening and programming. We have the great Tony Blackman that's here with uh, um, uh, three Senegalese uh, band members called Badu uh, Badu Best, I believe their name is. And they are here doing a a month-long residency as part of the project. Uh, Shouts out to Music in the Park. We're also involved in that. Kebby, they. Are really taking their hats off again for the community with music in the park. Um, uh, shouts out to Tamba Party and Tambor Egypt Cruise. I'm working on that. And um, also to Jazz and Earwax Records. There will be a, uh, an exhibit coming up that opens on November the 1st, Through the Eyes of Jazz, uh, uh, Daryl Smith and Earwax Records. So that's an ode to hip hop through his eyes, through his view. And um, I'm looking forward to uh, interjecting some pieces and parts of that. So uh, I'm just grateful to be here. I feel totally blessed, you know, and look, be on the lookout for Carrot Dog. This is another iteration of who I am in the arts. It's a kind of an offshoot and a pullback to my childhood, which is culinary arts. And it's just a a, 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 a nod to the original classic hot dog and how we can be a little bit healthier um and mindful and aware to do this work because we have to stay healthy. We have to stay healthy, you know? So that's what I'm up to and into. And wherever the my heartbeat, my blood leads me.
1: Kimmy, I'm so glad that you said more about about Carrot Dog, because you kind of like you kind of like breeze right past it when you were talking about it before. But I was like, no, come on, tell us about Carrot
2: Dog, Kimmy. Oh Corey, I thought you knew. That's been 2019, but we've only been operating like one day a week. And I know. I just wanted them to know. Oh,
1: <laughs> all, all about Care Dog. I know. I just <laughs> wanted you to, you know. Oh, yeah. thank you, brother.
2: Yeah, yeah. we're temporarily closed right now. We're um securing a, a a different location. It's it's and it's really magical, you know, how things roll out because you know just being having my hands so full right now, I just feel like the Creator has a master plan. So, but thank you, thank you for yeah. that. What are you working on? I already oh, know. Yes, sir. Um, I have
1: some things coming up. I'm playing actually. i using the park on Sunday. So is that? Um, I think the other public things. I have a lot of private things happening between now and the end of the year. Um, but this question is a is a is a interesting one, a delicate one for me right now because, um. I I'm supposed to be finishing my work today on uh, on a a pitch or a proposal for what I think is essentially like a Netflix special. Mm-hmm. I I say this because not because Netflix is interested in it. I'm not saying that there's any entity that's interested in it. But um, a lot of my work, my show is a is a an experience more so than a concert. It's a lot of storytelling. Every once in a while, I get funny. You know, there there's some jokes in it. Um, and uh, I've struggled really to capture that. Uh, it's hard to do it on Instagram. It's hard to do it on my on my website. Um, but I think what would work is like a you know a, a Netflix special style thing. So I think I'm gonna do some fundraising to try and get that made. Um, and um, some of what's been kind of slowing me down on that is I I want to tell my story, but I also am a little nervous about. Making that the focus, um, mm. but today's conversation has really helped me to understand that, like the part of my life that I want to talk about, has so much to do with Atlanta.
2: Yeah. You you have to integrate your story. No. It, yeah.
1: Yeah. Pure- yeah. You I mean, to- and I and I think today gave me the way. I mean, I, I I think so much of what I have been becoming over the last thirty years. Mm-hmm. Has been one part cello, and I'm realizing one part Atlanta, mm-hmm. and the last part is me. Right. Mm-hmm. I think I want to tell the story of how the three of us got here. Um, I love that. So that's I think that's what I'm working on right now. Um, um, yeah, I think that's the story, and I'm I'm excited to tell it. I really want to tell it. It's not going to be like me just talking because you know what I do is I play. Honestly, I feel like I tell stories on my instrument better than I do with my with my words. Um, so it's going to be a unique something, but uh, I think that's it. That's that's what I want what? you to look out for. Hopefully, if the world is, if, if, if it is God's will, 2024, we'll see uh, a fourth album that probably dovetails with uh, a live show taping. Which is kind of like in the style of a Netflix special. So that's what I'm looking at.
2: Debbie, would so uh, be Yeah. Look, of course. Yeah. I'd love to help tell that story. Let yeah. Me, oh, yes. Absolutely. Okay. Look, I, look that's what All I'm right, saying. All right. Now, wait, wait, wait. Are there plans is happening here
0: on this podcast? Atlanta.
1: <laughs> this is Atlanta. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the thing that I'm saying because, like, I've got the live taping yeah kenny we're gonna connect after this we're gonna connect <laughs> you know uh,
2: just, um, you know just to give a, an example like you know, like with john crew was like a great day in atlanta yeah we can see that story you know but and, and I, we can put some things on the wall but like to give context yeah you know right. i think that's so important and you know for me that's what i talk about preserving our underground like i I, I love being able to assist in telling those stories and you know some creativity you know I, I even as you were talking you know I saw some you know when you talk about anim, um Netflix I saw some animated you know some animated pieces that 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 kind of as a nod to your childhood and kind of a an animated piece kind of telling the story of your childhood the 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 the, 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 small, the little you that got you to that through that particular yeah we should talk.
0: Come on, what did we just do? at You thought you were doing something. Look so at the connections bad. happening on Downtown Dialogues.
2: <laughs>
0: man, oh, I, you're I, I am.
2: Oh, your fault, man. And then look, it, just let the world know that we share the same birthday. Your in birthday no, at December 18th. Listen, okay. it's make no mistake. Make no mistake. <laughs> Yes,
0: thank y'all so much for being here. Uh, you know, these are two people that I love and honor and respect. And you know, uh, just so the listeners know, you know, the idea that Atlanta influences everything is not just a company or a mm-hmm. brand; it's a reality. Um, That's right.
2: <laughs> I saw him yesterday,
0: <laughs> and so I, I want to thank y'all for continuing to to contribute to the art scene in uh this community and everyone that's listening please come like support their work uh okay cello uh if you have not seen uh Kimmy's documentary uh third and spring i think it's on tubi now right mm-hmm. please watch it when i saw it i was in tears because <laughs> because it's just you know all the feelings all the emotions all the memories and please come check out uh, Passing Strange, directed by Atlanta legend and a, a mutual friend of our all of ours, Tom Jones. So yes. uh, please come check that out, y'all, uh, and, and thank I, y'all for being. Um, here.
2: Interject. Hold on. Let me just yeah. let the beautiful listen. Do yourself you're a favor, okay? I'm like Grandmama Prince, but listen. Do yourself a favor. I mean, this play is so striking for all ages, all diverse. Audiences, you know, I think that you know, it leaves so many crumbs to pick up for your own self. How you support the arts? If you are an artist, you know, as it relates to Atlanta, Tom Jones, Adair, we love and appreciate you as well. Yes, Listen. folks, go see, go see the, go see the production. How long is it up, Adair?
0: Oh man, 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 it's up for the rest of this month, y'all. So you got time? Okay. <laughs> We're in October yes. now. You got time?
1: Yes, yes. All right.
0: Awesome. Thank y'all. All
1: All right. Thank you, Adaye. Thank you, Kimmy. Always a pleasure. Both of y'all. Thank you.